0: Another episode of The Virulent News, Toxic Habits and Attitudes. I'm your host, Wayne Bibbs. The main point of this podcast is to talk about all of the things that we allow to interfere with our creative interests. For the purposes of this podcast, we focus on writing, performing, or hosting. But in reality, the discussion can be applied to anything in our lives. Everyone has a list of things that they have to do. You have to earn a living, provide for your family, so forth, so on. But how many of you have ever dreamed of being a writer, an actor, a photographer, uh, hosting your own podcast or anything creative, only to be met with discouraging remarks and criticisms from others around you? I was lucky enough to have a great support system in my life when I decided that I was going to do all of the things that I just mentioned, as a matter of fact. Um, and I was smart enough, or at least obedient enough, to marry her. I know a lot of people don't have that support system in their lives, and that's the point of this show, to be that support. Let it be known that you can do it. You can take a little time to do the things you want to do, along with the things you need to do, that you don't have to choose one or the other and limit yourself. You need to know and believe that, and that leads me into uh introducing this gentleman that I've known for a few years now I had the pleasure of working with him uh as an actor on uh, on a movie set uh, You may know him uh from thirty minutes or less where the alleged stars are. Uh, Jesse Eisenberg and Aziz Ansari, but uh, depending on who you ask, and you can start with me, uh, this gentleman was the real star of the show. He has uh, some 35 IMDb credits, uh, three as an actor, three uh, as himself, and uh, he's also a stand-up comedian, Okay, now, for those of you who who think that it's easy to be a stand-up comedian, let me straighten you out right now. That is one of the hardest things you can do. Uh, Unfortunately, this gentleman has been through several of the very few things that are even harder. And I'm going to let him... Tell you about it uh, he was gracious enough to uh, accept my invitation I'm so glad that he did I want you to welcome Tori Adkins Tori hey how's it going Wayne going great now that you're here thanks for uh, for agreeing to uh, to talk to us today
1: absolutely thanks for having me I look forward to chatting with you
0: same here uh, let's uh, let's just go ahead and get into it as I said you've got uh, quite a few IMDB credits. Uh, but before you got into the acting thing I know that uh, you were also pretty big in sports in local sports this is uh, by the way this is the Midwest ladies and gentlemen um, mm-hmm. when you when you talk about uh, being a, a young boy into manhood in Michigan there are certain in Michigan Ohio Indiana Illinois there are certain things that go along with it you're going to cut the grass on Saturday
2: that's a given. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you're going to have uh more than human size snowdrifts in the winter and occasionally april uh and you are going to play sports uh i had my turn playing uh basketball and football but uh mr adkins here uh, actually made a name for himself uh in in local football and uh I'm just going to let him start talking about it, uh, Tori, Yeah. Tell us a little bit about uh, about your early days in uh, in terms of the sports. We'll start there, and we'll ease off okay. into the other creative uh, things that you've been doing.
1: Well, I can totally appreciate and absolutely second the the idea of growing up, especially in Michigan, um, in the summertime when we grew up. You couldn't be in the house. There was no sitting inside watching TV. Computers weren't even a thing. So what did you do? You went into the neighborhood. You played sports. Whether it was baseball, football. Um, sometimes we, <laughs> my friends and I, would get together in a field because we were all big WWF fans, wrestling fans. Mm-hmm. We'd have our wrestling matches. You know, I started off my first love when I was a kid was baseball. Mm. Um, I was really good at baseball at a young age. But I have to preface that by saying I've been huge my whole life. By the time I was uh, eight years old, my first Little League baseball game, I still have photos of it. I i was so big, I used a size 34-ounce wooden bat in Little League. That was yeah. the same exact length and size bat as Kirk Gibson and Lance Parrish of the Detroit Tigers. That's what I was using as an eight-year-old to hit the ball.
2: Good great. So dude. So they
1: not get an idea how big I was. <laughs> um, and then, you know, after baseball, I got into wrestling,
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, amateur wrestling. Did that for a long time and really loved it. And I didn't play football until middle school because I was such a big kid. Like, when I was eight years old, I would have had to play varsity with, like, kids who were, like, 11 and 12 years old. I would, you know, and i never played before, so... My family decided that probably wasn't going to be a good idea. Mm-hmm. So what we did was I wrestled. And when I got to middle school, I played football. Um, by the time I was 12, I was already six foot tall and 220 pounds. So I was a man child.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, yeah, you know,
0: for real, man.
1: <laughs> but yeah, you know what? I I, I was really good at blocking. Shocker, I know. Mm-hmm. And I loved it. I love the idea of, because it fits my personality being an offensive lineman. Like, I'm a big guy, but I'm like a big teddy bear, right? Mm-hmm. And what's an offensive lineman? They're a protector. Yes. So that's kind of what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I think probably my favorite sports story, though. When I was a junior in high school, I was on the varsity wrestling team, the heavyweight. I was pretty good. But our school, I went to Troy High School. Our school so big, we had two varsity wrestling teams, an A team and a B team. And my younger brother, Adam, who was a freshman, was a heavyweight on the B team. We had this one tournament called the Troy Invitational. Mm-hmm. There were 22 teams. So there was 22 guys in each weight class. My brother was on one side of the bracket, unseated, unknown. I was like a fifth seed on the other side. We beat everybody. Mm-hmm. And I end up having to wrestle my little brother in front of a gym full of people for the championship of a wrestling tournament. Wow. Brother versus brother. And let me tell you, they were all cheering for the younger one. They all wanted the upset. Sure. So now, <laughs> I'm <laughs> in my home gym and I'm playing the villain against my own brother. You it bully. Was
0: <laughs> it was awful. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you bully. How are you going to cheat?
1: You're going to beat up on your little brother. Listen, my little brother turned out to be a way better athlete than me. He, he became the school's only the second state champion in school history when he was a senior. Mm-hmm. got a full ride. He was Tom Brady's center in Michigan. So my brother ended up being a really good athlete. Wow. But um, that day, I did whatever it took to win. Because <laughs> there was no way for the rest of my life, I knew no matter what this kid does, and it's, it's true, he could pull out his national championship football ring, brag about all the great players he played with at Michigan. Mm-hmm. I still can look at him and say, like, yeah, but remember the Troy invitation? <laughs> and that's it. Game over. Bam. You can't say anything. You can you can brag
0: to anybody <laughs> outside of this house, bro. But let me yeah, remind exactly. you, big fella took care of business. Yep. I, <laughs> I understand. But now, walk us through the transition here. I mean, because, you know, we, we, we're seeing – or so we're hearing about the, the, the football thing, how did we get into
1: acting? You know, I mean, the whole the whole entertainment train, it was something like, my whole life I'd always been like the funny guy, mm-hmm. but I was never the class clown. I'd be the guy who would say some kind of witty, almost just to my friends, at the class cl- clown's expense. Like, I've always been really witty, but I'm not like one of those people who... I mean, I got attention everywhere I went because I was so big. When I walked in the room, everyone looked at me. Mm-hmm. So, like, I went out of my way a lot of times to not get attention, you know, because that, when you're young, that can be kind of, like, debilitating to always have everyone staring at you. Sure. So, so after sports, after college, after I played football and I graduated, I went, I was working at an ad agency, and one night, me and a couple of the other young guys, and, you know, the the low rung of the totem pole, the ad agency, we went out to a, a pizza restaurant or a restaurant um, and we were just going for something to get something to eat after we worked late. And it just so happened. We go into this place and they were doing an open mic comedy night. Now we didn't know that. And we're sitting there and one of the guys who I worked with, who always tells me how funny he thought I was, he dares me. He goes, I dare you to get up there and do up." I've never in my life thought about being a comedian. I'd never been on a stage like that. Um, but then he said the magic words, Wayne, he said, if you get on stage and you get one laugh, I will pay for your dinner. Oh and no. <laughs> I was like, I will do it. I mean, sold. I got up there. I told a couple funny stories about my dad. Cause my dad's a real crazy character.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Remember I got one, one joke, got a really good laugh in this room of people. And immediately I was hooked. Yeah. I started going to open mics. I sucked forever. It was so hard. Because when you're doing stand up, you know, it's not like just getting up there and being funny. To be a good comedian, and if you look at any great comic that you've ever respected, they're authentically themselves. But that takes a long time to learn how to be funny in your own skin, you know? Right. Because you, you know, not, you can't go up there and be like anybody else because you're just going to come off as a cheap carbon copy and you're never going to ever make it. Right. You know? There's, there's only one Leonard Skinner, for example, for a reason. Yeah, there's a lot of knockoff bands who are playing in bars in small towns that you've never heard of, but there's only one, and there's a reason for that. Same thing with comedy. Mm-hmm. So it takes a lot of experimenting and failing, and I think that, you know, I've played football against some big, huge human beings. I've wrestled some tough people in my life. There is nothing scarier that I've ever faced than walking in front of a room full of people some of the who've been drinking, by the way, mm-hmm. grabbing a microphone <laughs> and trying to basically say to them in, a, in effect, "Shut up and listen to what I have to say."
0: Yeah, that's. So uh, you
1: keep that. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no,
0: no. I was just gonna. I was just gonna co-sign what you said, man. That that is something that will that will produce a bit of shrinkage in any dude <laughs> that oh, walks up there.
1: Absolutely, it will, because like that, you know, and if you're lucky enough to get their attention. You have one second. You literally have like a small little bit of time. So now you have to hold it and show that you're worthy of them continuing to pay attention. So you got to be funny. And that's why, I mean, a lot of comics I know, I would say like if I was in a high pressure situation, I want a comedian on my side because they know what it's like to deal with pressure in the moment in front of a room full of people. It is the hardest thing I've ever done.
0: Yeah, that it it is hard. I I'm, I've been in that. I've done it a little bit myself. Not as much as you yeah. have, but I you know I've done a little bit of it, and I know yeah that that is nerve wracking. And uh, the, first... the, the yeah the first time you do it, and I've also done it um, not so much in on stand up comedy, uh, but in church where I had to deliver my first sermon. Yeah. Ooh, yep. I'm like I'm trying to I'm trying to show God I'm good enough to do this, you right. know. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And
0: that's that is some scary stuff. Uh absolutely. but I want to I want to shift gears here just a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. because as you as you said, uh this is one of the the scariest things that you will ever have to do and as I alluded to earlier, uh you have had to deal with some of the very few things that I can think of, anyway, that right. are even scarier, and uh, if it's okay with you, I, I would like for you to uh, to share a little bit of that with the
1: audience. Yes, for sure. So just just to quickly put a button on what we were just talking about in transition. Um, so I got into stand up. Through stand up, I met an agent who had the audition for a commercial. Mm. I ended up getting the commercials for the Detroit Pistons. Their initial was their initial going to work campaign they did before Mm -hmm. they got really good in the early 2000s. And I I got into acting that way. Like I never thought about being an actor. I ended up pursuing the acting to the point where I moved to Chicago, um, did a ton of unpaid theater, tons of student films, but kept building experience and connecting with people, got an agent, and that's kind of how I got into the acting realm. Mm-hmm. That leads us to like, so I, I, you know, I was lucky enough to work for a while, and I booked a lot of different things, um, you know, through the years. And in 2018, so let's fast forward. So 2018, it's like early February going into March. I had auditioned for a small part in a Netflix movie, um, and it was going to be a scene with Anthony Anderson, of uh, Blackish fame. Mm-hmm. And I booked the part, so I booked this role. It was just a small little like prison guard type role. but I started working out. I want to shed some weight for the role. And what happened was one night I come home, I you know I go to the gym, I work out and I come home from the gym, and this is where it's it's kind of one of those things if it's divine intervention, I don't know. Mm. I come home from the gym and I get a strong urge to take a bath. Now, I am a six foot four generously in the 300 pound range, man, mm-hmm. I'm a big dude. I don't take baths, especially in Chicago. The bathtubs in the average apartment, they're not made for men like me <laughs> at all. But I had this strong urge just to take a bath. Mm-hmm. So I, I did it. I, I fill up the tub and as I, as it's filling up, I step into it. I've got the plunger down. It's filling up and I start to lower myself into the tub. And without about a foot to go before my, my behinds on the bottom of the tub, one hand of one of my hands was on the side of the tub. The other was on this like soap dish thing, lowering myself down. My hand kind of slipped off the s- soap dish a little bit and all my weight came down on the right side and I ended up pinching a nerve in my neck. And at first it, it hurt a little bit, but over the next like four or five days, the pain got excruciating. I went to an urgent care clinic. They gave me pain meds for it. it didn't help. So I had been not calling into work, taking time off literally just laying in bed, almost needing help to get up to go to the bathroom. I was in so much pain. Mm -hmm. And then something happened about five to six days into it, where whenever I would stand up, I couldn't breathe. It was like I was literally having a panic attack. Um, And I never had that before. So I didn't know what was going on. And finally, my (laughs) ex-wife insisted on taking me to this emergency room. Going to this emergency room, And come to find out, basically, not only did I hurt, yeah, I pinched a nerve in my neck, but the reason I was having a hard time breathing is, at some point, I had contracted a virus. Now, they never knew what the virus was. Like, to this day, it's never been quite, you know, explained exactly (laughs) what it was. When I was in the hospital, they asked me a zillion questions, and they could never quite pinpoint it. But somehow, this virus got into my body. It caused me to turn what they call sepsis. Completely sepsis mm-hmm. over the course of the next couple of days. Um, my body was shutting down. I actually, the first hospital I was in, I coded, which means basically I should di- should have died. They were able to bring me back. Um, they ended up finding, while I was in that hospital, an abscess the size of my fist had formed at the top of my spine.
2: Oh, and basically come on.
1: If they didn't remove it, it'd either kill me or I'd be quadriplegic the rest of my life. Now, I didn't know any of this, by the way, because my brain was frying. I had such a high temperature. There was fear that either I was going to stroke out or that, like, you know, it could literally my brain was going to fry. I had no clue. I was, like, hallucinating. It was nuts. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm in this one hospital, and the next time I wake up, I'm in a completely different hospital. And let me paint the picture for you. Okay. I wake up in a totally different hospital with some strange doctor standing over me, asking me to squeeze his fingers with my hand and, and, and to try to lift my feet. But he, he's, he's saying this, and as he's saying that, I, I kind of look over, and here's my mother standing next to me. And I look down, and my brother's next to her. Then on the other side, there's my dad and then my ex-wife. And I couldn't understand, why is my family here? Because they all live in Florida. They live in Florida. They don't live in Chicago. And it quickly became apparent to me, like, you know, kind of figuring out what's going on. And and later on talking to my brother about it. um, I had coded another two times, meaning between right before the surgery and then after the surgery, where they again had to resuscitate me, bring me back to life. And, when it happened before the surgery, my mother, who they flew up, my family, you know, didn't have a lot of money, but they flew my mom up to be there because she wanted to say goodbye to me before I went to the surgery to be there for me, like any good mom. Um, she called my brother and my dad and told them that there's a strong possibility I wasn't going to make it, and my brother immediately drove over to my dad's house in his van, got him. They drove 22 hours straight from Florida to Chicago to be there at my bedside, and the reason they were all there is because they were there to tell me goodbye. They, they pretty much thought I was going to die. Um, the doctors had pretty much painted the picture that more likely than not I was going to pass. So they came to tell me goodbye. They were there. They wanted to be there in my final moments. So I come out of this and I see them around, you know, and like and it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And this doctor's telling me to squeeze his fingers and I can't. Tell me to lift my feet and I can't. And what happened was because they had to go in and cut this abscess out of my spine. It was literally inside my spine. They had to cut it out. It mm-hmm. caused all kinds of nerve damage. basically paralyzed half my body. So, so imagine that. You wake up in one hospital. Mm-hmm. I mean, you don't know where you are. You can't move your body. And your family's standing around you crying. It's like It was just like out of the worst nightmare of my life. Sure. Um, oh my from God. that, I ended up spending almost four months in a rehabilitation hospital that is, um, you know, specifically one of the top hospitals in the entire country. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's in Chicago for spinal cord injury where I had to go through the slow, painful process of trying to learn to do the most basic things like sit up. If I was going to stand, you know, they had to have a harness on me to like learn to try to stand again and, and, and walk with a walker and all that. And, I I want to make sure I haven't lost you so far. No. Okay.
0: Yes. Just, just so, I'm I'm just trying to absorb uh, the 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 sheer horror you must have been going through.
1: Yeah, I mean, honestly, like in talking about it now, I can look at it with a different perspective. But like in the time when I was going through it, it it was, you know, a horror. My whole life, like I said, I played football all the way up through college. Like I'd always been somebody who, like you know, total command of my body, Mm -hmm. super strong as an ox. My whole life, Mm -hmm. so strong, like this big strong man. And now, I need to have someone grab and help bring my hand up to my mouth to feed me, to brush my teeth. I couldn't do it on my own. Um, I'd have people like literally, like change my bed because I couldn't get out of bed to go to the bathroom. I'm not trying to be gross, but like, like so, like almost all dignity gone Mm -hmm. completely dependent on someone for everything. Mm -hmm. And that was the hardest part of it all. Um, And then in the middle of it, my, my now ex-wife and I, at the time we were, you know, we were living together, but we, we were going to get separated. You know, that's just the way it was going. One day she comes in to the hospital and I'm laying there and she let me know that she was moving forward with the divorce. Um, and I didn't, it, 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 it nearly broke me. She told me this and then she walked out of that room and she never came back. And immediately my thought is like, what's going to happen to me? I thought like I was, you know, I kind of in my head thought, all right, I'm gonna get out of this hospital. I'm going to go to my home in Chicago with her, my, our apartment. I'm going to have to work really hard to try to get my life back. But I at least kind of thought I knew what my next step was going to be. And now that was all gone all gone i didn't know where i was going to go i didn't know who was going to take care of me mm-hmm. now I in the back of my mind my family would help me out but you know you never want to think that as an adult either you never want to think about especially me i'm a very proud full person mm-hmm. i never want to be a burden on my family right so i i will tell you Wayne, when she when she walked out of that room and I, I that's the lowest i ever felt in my life i sat there and probably cried for three hours straight and the only thing that helped me was this um I had this uh, this one nurse who was taking care of me that night, and she was an older lady from um, Jamaica. You know, she had a little bit of an accent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: She was, but she sat there and she just held my hand and she kept like just, you know, she just kept like softly like you know, rubbing my shoulder and telling me that it was going to be okay. And she, you know, she would just constantly sit there for hours, you know, in between running out to do her rotation, just to come back and just to hold my hand and to let me know it was going to be okay. And somehow that really helped. Wow, it really. It, it, it got me through it um wow. and then i will say this part and then i will open up for questioning <laughs> i well i decided the next day as hokey as this sounds and, and it sounds like some out of a movie i decided the next day that um i was going to get better i was going to die trying and i knew like my my challenge was so big i couldn't think of it in the macro. I couldn't think about, will I walk again? Will mm-hmm. I drive again? Well, I, I couldn't think about that stuff. Let alone, will I perform again? Which is the thing that made me feel alive every time I did it. it, it it's what I felt my purpose was, right? Mm. What I had to focus on is, okay, yesterday I took four steps of the walker. Today I'm going to take six. Tomorrow I'm going to shoot for eight. Literally breaking every little thing I did into small, digestible, easily easy to measure chunks Mm -hmm. that's the way i chipped away at everything i had to overcome by by breaking it down by being like an athlete like i'd always been of like thinking about technique and 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 going back to the basics so to speak because if i had sat in that bed and thought about like will i ever walk again it would have felt so insurmountable i would have just given up but that's where like that that mindset of nope i'm gonna break it down and i'm do it in the small little increments that I can measure and make goals that are achievable to help get me on the right mindset and the right path. So that's how I overcame it.
0: That is... I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll share with the audience, I knew uh, the bare bones of the story. I knew quite a bit of it. But there are some things uh, that you just shared that I did not know, and I'm telling you, man, I could... Uh if you were here right now I would lay the biggest hug on you that any dude oh, has, ever <laughs> has ever done. I and, would take it too man. Uh, I'm telling you think that. that 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 is uh that is an incredible incredible testimony to uh to the love that a, a family can demonstrate cuz I'll tell you something. Uh when you spoke of your your brother and your father Driving 22 straight hours to come to the hospital and everything that they must have been thinking about on the way, because they're thinking, like, this is going to be our, uh, excuse me, I'm sorry, uh, last chance to see Tori. And we're not stopping. Drive 22 hours. I know, you know, I'm not really trying to be funny here, but I know some families where they wouldn't drive across town.
1: No, and it's true. Like I, And you know what? I, I have to say, um, we'd always been very close. We grew up very blue-collar. My father, my whole life, was a bowling alley mechanic. My mother was a cashier at Kroger. And we lived in a very rich, ritzy town, but we were as blue-collar as it got. Mm-hmm. And the way we got to everything in our life was as a family. So, like, my brother and I have been close our whole life you know we really were we were two and a half years apart and we played football together we won the only, only state championship in our school's history when i was a senior and he was a sophomore we, we were on the same team we played next to each other mm-hmm. so like you know we've had a bond um and and i realize now like i didn't grow up with all the nice fancy things that a lot of people and a lot of my friends had mm-hmm. but i look at the family that god gave me mm-hmm and bless me with and mm-hmm. that is truly my riches in life to this day my mother and father if i break down on the side of the road and i call them they're there you know i know yes. it's not convenient they're older now but they still they're there when i need them and and not many people can say that
0: no that, that they can't not a lot of people can say that you're absolutely right and no, I, I, right. I i gotta tell you that 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 family of yours uh wow man i would, I would love to meet them someday, but I also want to meet that nurse. The one yeah. that sat there and held your hand, say it's going to be okay. in whatever Jamaican accent that was, but yeah. that, that is wow,
1: man. You know, yeah. one of my, my, my ultimate dreams is, and I didn't get a chance to do it. Um, so I, I, I got to go back to Chicago, obviously for acting opportunities and stuff. And I was there filming an episode of a TV show. Um, in November of last year, mm-hmm. and I so desperately wanted to go back to the hospital. Shirley Ryan, that's the hospital's name that I was in for all that time, in the rehab hospital, mm-hmm. and go see any of those therapists that worked with me every day to let them know, and you'd also be able to possibly speak to any, you know, these have group meetings and stuff where they have you know, patients gather and hear people come in and talk, I would love to be able to, to give the message of, hey, don't give up. I was literally in your shoes
2: mm-hmm. and I,
1: I'm here. So that's one of my ultimate goals eventually is to go back and to thank those people. But because of the coronavirus at the time, um, you know, that was impossible. They weren't letting out people who come in to visit, so to speak. So I'm hoping eventually at some point in the next couple of years, I can go back and just, you know, either share my story or just share my gratitude for the, those people who had the patience of saints to put up with me. Cause mm-hmm. you know, I gotta be honest, I was a bear some days. I know I was not the easiest person in the world to deal with. Mm-hmm. Um, I was grumpy sometimes, but they, they, they never lost their patience with me. And ultimately that, that helped me so much in my journey.
0: I can understand that because, uh, you know, I can, I can tell you, from firsthand experiences uh, there are some people who do a certain job and it doesn't matter how much money they're making it's not enough uh, right. with you know uh, teachers do not make enough nurses 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 do not make enough and there's others I'm not trying to exclude anyone but uh, for them to have to deal with uh, a person's fears yep. and pain that often manifests as anger because they don't know of any other way to express right. it and to bring them through it and get them to the point where they are recovering. Right. Or for, or for those who aren't fortunate enough to recover, to try and blunt the pain that their families feel at you know their loved one yep. being gone, they don't print... Enough money for that, and I, no, I know I know so absolutely. many nurses and 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 teachers and firemen even, and we'll go all the way down the list. Uh, and bowling mechanics, by the way, i I love bowling, but <laughs> <laughs> but these people do not earn enough money for the for wow. not only for their skills, but for the compassion with which uh they utilize those skills for the betterment of everyone else man yes. I'm t- that is that is uh that is a wonderful story that yeah, you, know, you know
1: i i have to i well first of all thank you for that um i want to say two last things on it if I can sure. I, almost, we're, we're, I I just would say this first of all um because I did mention my ex wife in, in the leaving I have to say though in that time of need when I needed her. She did step up um, right right around the time I was getting ready to go into that surgery, right? And it was high, highly, like there was only one doctor in the entire city of Chicago who would even do it. And thankfully, my lucky just come back from vacation a day or two before. That's the truth. And they asked my ex, before I go in, are there any orders in place? Meaning, are there any do not resuscitate orders? Now, she and I had spoken about a month and a half before that. Um, something came up at work, and, and like they are talking about, like you know, wills and everything. Um, you know, one of their annual seminars they do with you know your your, your human resource department, mm-hmm. and I had mentioned to her, like you know, I would never want to be kept alive on a machine. I just wouldn't like that's something I don't want to be like kept alive on a machine. Meaning, you know, I don't want long term for me. That's not something I would want long term. Mm-hmm. But in that moment, when they asked her if there were orders she didn't know what to say she remembered that conversation and she was about to tell them yes there are orders in place that's what he would want he would not want to be resuscitated but my mother was standing there next to her she looked at my mom and snapped her out of it. and she said no there are no orders in place mm-hmm. they left the hospital this conversation was at eleven thirty that night at 1 30 same night going into the morning they called and woke her up to tell her that they had just had to resuscitate me. If she would given an answer different at 11.30, by 1.30 that night, I wouldn't be here today. Wow. And then the final thing I'll say about my whole journey, and this is where, you know, if you're spiritual, if you're religious or not, I go back and forth. I struggle with different things. I'm not going to lie. I'm not perfect. But mm-hmm. doctors straight up have told me, especially when I was in the hospital, had I not had that little slip and fall. When I got that urge to take a bath that I normally wouldn't have done and pinched a nerve in my neck to cause me the pain to go to the hospital really in the first place, I would have died. Because I had this virus raging my body I didn't even know because I didn't feel sick. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I'd been feeling sick and it built up. It literally hit like a storm. And if it had been like a couple more days before I went in, they said there'd been I would have died. There would have been nothing they could have done. So that little slip and fall where I pinched my neck mm-hmm. and taken a bath because I got this strong urge... It saved my life. As crazy as that sounds, it literally saved my life. You know, while while you were heading up to that,
0: it you know I saw where you were going with that. Uh, that that is so amazing. And the and the, the 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 knot, the tumor, whatever it was, on in your spine. Yeah. Uh, that you probably also didn't know about. Am I correct?
1: Yeah. No, I didn't. Yeah, it was this huge abscess, but it, abscess in the top of my spine, but. I'd
0: never had any like neck issues before, no pain or nothing. Mm-hmm. Yep. Wow. Yeah, you're right. It was a, a, it was an awful way to save your life, but it did it. And I'm, I'm, it did it. Yep. I'm really glad that it did, yeah, but, <laughs> but yeah, I imagine it, you know, it help, it's kind of helps in making plans for the weekend if you're still alive,
2: Yeah. but absolutely.
0: Uh, I want to, I, I want to quickly mm-hmm. get in here and I want to highlight something. Because for me, this is the most important thing of everything that we've been talking about. Not only did you survive, you know, one of the most harrowing things I have ever heard of in my life. I've never even seen anything this bad in a movie. Right.
1: (laughs) Um,
0: Not only did you survive that, but you started picking up the pieces of your life, personal and professional. Right. after this was you you gotta you gotta talk about that just a little bit man absolutely. i I know you've you've got a, a schedule you've got to keep but if you would no, no, no. please I, if you would please I, I, give us I, a little I, bit
1: I, absolutely because i understand too that that's a you know an important theme in your podcast and I, and I really love that by the way because in any kind of creative endeavor like you highlighted earlier writing acting comedy music anything that you have to actually open up your soul and put yourself out there is just filled with rejection to begin with, you know, you hear no so many more times than you hear yes. So you're already, you know, battling that battle, that uphill climb you're trying to make no matter what level you are, you know, even the top, top, top people, there's still things they want, they can't do. There's still people who hear no as crazy as that is. Um, so when you look at it from that perspective of it's so easy to give up. But if you really love something and you're passionate about it, you don't give up. For me, I so I ended up coming down to Florida to stay with my parents, my mother and father, who were saints, and I loved them to death. They took me in. My mother, she, did, she showed what true love is, taking care of me, mm. helping to bathe mm. me, helping to feed me. Um, My dad would literally every day take me to all my doctor's appointments, push me in my wheelchair, help me get in the car. We'd go to my um, physical therapy four days a week where I started working on being able to get stronger. And through physical therapy and these amazing people, I was able to start walking with a walker, transition to a cane. And now I walk with nothing. I'm back to my normal life. And when I was just at that point where I was still with a walker, I decided I wanted to do stand-up again. I missed it. So I I entered a comedy contest out of nowhere. I hadn't done stand-up in almost two years at that point. Mm -hmm. I entered this comedy contest at this club up in Port Charlotte, Florida. I get there, and there's stairs to get up. I'm like, oh, my God. I'm not going to be able to get on stage, you know, because I have a walker. But thankfully, they had someone who helped me. So I got up on stage. I sat down in a seat. I didn't do it standing up. And it was a contest. And I ended up coming in the top three, which meant I made it to the final. So my first time back on stage, mm-hmm. I got laughs. Yes. There were some really good comics in this contest. And, and, and it just like, it, I cried so hard when I was by myself that night because I worked so hard in physical therapy every day pushing myself because I kept saying, I'm going to act again and I'm going to do stand-up again. While I was still kind of with the walker and everything, I would submitted to an agent who represented me years ago in Florida.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And that agent told me straight up, unless you're able to walk without any assistance, you'll never be able to act again. Which is completely ridiculous, by the way. Sure it is. Like there's many disabled uh, artists, you know, who, who have different challenges that are able to perform and they're more authentic than ever now. But she told me that and it broke my heart. But I decided, you know what? I'm going to do everything I can to get back to it. And I'm not going to let somebody telling me no keep me from believing that I could do it. So I started doing stand-up again, started getting laughter, started being able to talk a little bit about my experience. Because there's a lot of humor and tragedy. And man, as we've covered, I went through some tragedy. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Um, And then I I was able to get a really good agent and started to to do auditioning. And what really helped me was with the pandemic, everything was what they call a self-tape from home. So you can audition from home and just send it to the casting people wherever. And it allowed me to start acting again and to audition for things. And the first role I booked was this small, um, it's a little horror film that hasn't come out yet, but I booked the role of a preacher, a pastor, and I loved the part because I grew up um, going to church Church people used to always tell me if I didn't go play football in college that I should have went to Bible school. Mm-hmm. You know, I just had that personality; I would have been probably really good at that. Mm-hmm. So I really loved that role because it kind of let me have live that fantasy out a little bit. But it was also, and it was a small, short film, but it was a sag, you know, a union film. But it was a booking; it was acting work. I auditioned against other people and I got the part. Something that when I was in the hospital in 2018, I thought I would never do again. Mm-hmm. But I didn't give up, and I just kept, kept working at it. I got lucky enough to book a part in a huge feature film and then a TV show. So I had three bookings in my first year back, and I'm now regularly auditioning. And I guess the moral of all this is um, I never, ever wh- – I looked at it this way. I survived death four times than I know of.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I had nothing to fear. If I fail, so what? If I get on a comedy stage and they don't laugh, so what? It's not going to kill me. If I don't get the part now, yeah, sometimes it it hurts when you put your soul into it, but another audition will come along. I don't give up. I don't say, well, that's it, because I've already overcome the hardest thing I'm ever going to have to overcome in this life. For real. You know? And so now, I look at it all as, you know, I always jokingly say this with my, my girlfriend, but it's true, I'm playing with the house's money is how I, I look at it. Mm-hmm. I'm getting chances and opportunities that I probably shouldn't be getting. I should, I should not be alive to be getting. And, I, and I'm grateful for all of it. The good, the bad, there are sometimes, it doesn't go great on stage. But you know what? It doesn't kill me.
0: You see? So for, tho- for those of you who are listening, please, if you take away nothing else from, from uh, what this man is telling you, Understand you don't ever give up and it is my sincere hope, sincere prayer that none of you ever has to deal with what this man has dealt with, but learn from it. Learn that you don't ever have to give up. You don't ever not even have to give up. Don't you do it. Yeah. And, amen. And don't don't limit yourself. Nobody knows how long you're going to be here, so you may as well do everything that you've ever wanted to do. And yeah, absolutely. And as for uh, as for you, Tory, uh, I want to tell you, I am a huge basketball fan, and I don't know if you, well you know basketball. Uh, yeah. My favorite player, uh, favorite active player is Steph Curry, yep. who, as you know, plays for the Golden State Warriors. Uh, with the exception of Klay Tom- Thompson, they're going to have to change that team name because uh, you and a few other people I know deserve the title Warrior.
1: Oh, man, that's uh, a lot.
0: That, uh, What you've been through is incredible, but the fact that you came through it and didn't just stop there with surviving it. You went back to what you wanted to do, and that is that's the most beautiful thing. Um, I know it sounds like I'm I'm gushing here, and you know oh, you guys are just gonna have to forgive me for that. But when you see when when you see uh, someone who has I mean seriously fought. That's the only that's the only word. Fought battle. You know warrior through something as uh, oppressive and overwhelming as very, very, very near death, so close to death that, you know, it was actually called death a few times and came back from that and reclaimed life, reclaimed uh, passion, reclaimed the things in life that you love. Man, like you said, there's nothing left to be afraid of. The, The only thing that you do now is, okay, what's my next project? Because yeah, I'm not getting scared off of it.
1: You know you know what I would want to impart on, you know, and this way sound hokey and I don't mean it to, but it's the truth. And I, I would hope anyone listening to this um, takes this to heart, no matter what you do in life, no matter what your passions are in life. Like I said, there's a lot of forces that are always going to tell you no. There's always going to be naysayers in every aspect, especially now in the world we live in now more than ever. There's more negativity thrown at everybody all the time. Mm-hmm. But Look in the mirror and just understand, and this, and I learned this lesson from an acting coach a long time ago, you're enough. You don't need to be something you're not. You are enough. You're valid enough. You need to believe that you're enough. That's the difference. People who are successful and people who are not is the people who are successful, they not only accept that they are enough, they believe it. And they trust in it. And that's what I would want you, listener, to understand is that you're enough no matter what it is, no matter what you're writing, no matter what you're singing, no matter what you're acting in, or whatever your creative outlet, whatever, you're, whatever you do that brings you joy, you're enough and you don't need to be something you're not because you are, already have everything inside of you that is required to be successful. So just know that.
0: That is the perfect cap uh, to this conversation uh Tori Atkins ladies and gentlemen uh, thank you so much for for sharing your message uh the last thing that I want you to do though yeah. is I want you to uh, to mention if you can uh, the names of some of the the projects you're doing right now uh, and uh, if you're going to to be performing where you'll be because I'd like to give everyone a chance to come and see you
1: you know, um, so on the stand-up thing, right now I'm taking a little bit of a hiatus. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the summertime. I'm in a relationship with an amazing lady. Um, and she has children. So, you know, they're out of school. So, like, we have different ships and things. And I'm kind of, like, stopping to smell the roses a little bit. Sure, that's sure. The thing. I I realize that, you know, I could have left this world. And I and it, it dawned on me more than once. And I would never have gotten to do a lot of things that I now want to do and not take those, you know, time for granted. That's the worst thing you can do is take time for granted. Absolutely. Um, but I I have, a, I just did an episode of a TV show uh, that was last season called The 4400, mm-hmm. a little small part. Um, I have a, a feature film coming out called Till. Uh, I'm not sure exactly when that's coming out. That's by MGM, and that's based on um, the trial, the murder and the trial of Emmett Till, mm-hmm. famous civil rights um, you know, story. His mama was one of the, you know, the pioneers of the civil rights movement, and it's about Emmett's life and the terrible tragedy that happened and the farce of a trial and all the, all of that. So the, the movie's called Till. I'm not exactly sure when that's coming out yet. Um, and then I had this uh, feature, this short film called Hosanna, where I play the pastor, and supposedly that's going to be coming out soon. I'm not sure where yet, but when I know and it's it's something I can share, I'll definitely let you know. Other than that, I've been auditioning like crazy, and I'm just waiting for the next opportunity to knock on the old door.
0: I understand, and when you do find out uh, when Till is being released, when Hosanna is being released, I hope that uh, you will agree to come back on the show and uh, tell us about uh, you know what's going on, when it will be, you know, where people can see it, because. Uh, I want them, now that they know a little about your background and the the horrendous, wow, uh, trial you went through, I want them to be able to see you, to look at you and your performance and understand everything that you went through to get to that point. So please do let us know. Uh, I definitely
1: will. It would be an honor to come back, my friend.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, Once again, everyone, Tori Adkins. Thank you, guys. Thank you, as he said. I'd like to thank you as well for being here and for sharing a bit of your day with us. This is the Virulent News, Toxic Habits and Attitudes. I'm your host, Wayne Bibbs. I will be talking to you again very soon, but until then, take care.